hear, for this is the word of the Lord. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John whom I beheaded has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was gladly, per- greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have now come to the story behind what happened to John the Baptist since we last heard of his arrest in chapter 1. This is an account of the execution of a godly man who proclaimed the word of God. Now this seems like a, a random account. But the truth is there is no such thing as random accounts in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, This was put here to give us an example. This is an example of some of the ways the unbelieving world responds to the word of God. It is not always favorable. And as believers, we are to be aware of it. The world does not always accept the teachings of scripture. Jesus was rejected in his hometown. And if he was rejected then his disciples will be rejected. The world, more times than not, rejects the word of God, and we have two examples here of how they respond. And the reason for this is that sin has so blinded the minds and hardened the hearts that it will eventually lead to persecution or rejection of some sort. 
And these are also examples of how sin can run its course even in our own lives. Also, this text is put here to give us a, a glimpse into the future. It is a foreshadowing of what is to come. It is showing us the fate of our Lord as he too will be rejected and killed at the hands of a confused world leader. And that is what we see here. That is what we see in the world today without God. We see the guilt and the confusion of the world. The opposition to the law of God. The opposition to God's people. And what we can expect when sin has run its course. First, the problem with the unbelieving world is that their sin has left them in a confused state. We are now introduced to King Herod Antipas, who was not really a king. He was a governor of Galilee and Perea, which is southeast of Galilee along the eastern side of the Jordan River. He led a campaign to acquire the title king for himself, but Augustus Caesar refused to give him that title since only Caesar is king. He was called king by popular repetition until it finally stuck. It doesn't really uh, make him a king. He wasn't really a king. And every time it is mentioned in Mark, it is a kind of a mockery of his status. So you can say he was full of himself and he was only concerned with himself, his title, and his status in the world. Sin has run its course in his life and it is unrestrained as all he is seeking is a powerful position among men. But then he hears of Jesus and all that he and his disciples were doing in Jesus' name as his name had become known. Uh, Well, how was that? Because Jesus had just given his disciples his authority to cast out demons, heal the sick, and to preach. Well, what were they preaching? They were preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. Talk about a conflict of interest because that is political language. It sounds like a campaign. Against whom? Well, for Herod, it sounded like a campaign against him. So Herod, at this point, was in fear that Jesus Jesus would cause widespread rebellion against his authority. He didn't know that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. But notice the confusion coming from the world. This is similar to the confusion we still have in the world today. Word is getting around about Jesus and his disciples. So the world tries to identify who he is and put him in a human category. People have all sorts of ideas about Jesus, but never coming to know his true identity. 
And at this point, John the Baptist had already been executed. So they said in regard to Jesus, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, they didn't get this idea from the Old Testament. Actually, it is grounded in pagan mythology that was going around at that time. But others said he is Elijah. We know that can't be because Jesus would later identify John the Baptist as coming of Elijah. And others said he is a a prophet like one of the prophets of old. Well, Jesus was a prophet, but he was not like the prophets of old. He is greater than the prophets of old as he is God's beloved son. So John the Baptist, Elijah, or a prophet are the three that Jesus is identified as by the world at that time. When, when he asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter gave him the same response. There's confusion as the world hears but never understand and sees and never perceive. The world is confused when it comes to Jesus. Unless there is a work of the Holy Spirit accompanied with the Word of God, no one will ever come to know the real Jesus. How many versions of Jesus are out there in the world today? Recently, a politician said that if Jesus was around today, he would be woke. Whatever that means. Well, no. Jesus is the one who awakens. He is the one who awakens men to sin and salvation. If anything, he would be calling the woke and the unwoke to repentance alike. Every religion has their own version of Jesus. A prophet, a revolutionary, a hippie, and they never come to know the real Jesus. And with this confusion, there comes a whole lot of superstition. Now, there was a lot of superstition in the area at that time, even within Judaism. Uh, a superstition is a, an unjustifiable belief that is believed by many people, often in whole societies. Uh, they believe that actions lead to certain consequences brought about by an unseen and unknowable force and unfortunately even today superstition is often confused with faith so they believe if you do something wrong uh, the same or worse will be done to you but mysteriously what are examples of superstition well here's one if you shave or cut your hair at night a family member will die If you spill salt, the devil will take your soul unless you throw some salt over your left shoulder with your right hand. Karma is an example of superstition. They say if you wrong someone, there will be karma, meaning you'll get it back, an eye for an eye, but it will be hidden and unexplained. From scripture, that is not God's judgment. Because God's judgment 
is orderly, straightforward, face-to-face. There are courts and due process. So you probably won't get hit by a bolt of lightning randomly. Superstition and Christianity have nothing in common. They are not compatible at all. We believe that if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and you will never face the true consequences that your sins deserve, even in this life. There is no karma in Christianity. But this was a form of what Herod was believing. He heard of who Jesus was and he concluded that John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He believed in a weird form of reincarnation where the spirit of John the Baptist is transferred to someone who's already actively living. Jesus and John were only months apart in age. Talk about confusion and superstition. He feared that he was going to be punished for ordering John's execution through his reincarnation. But that's not how it works. Consider Paul. Paul persecuted the church and yet he was given grace. He was forgiven. He was saved. So he had a superstitious fear rather than a godly fear. A true fear of God that leads to repentance. So what was driving the confusion and superstition? Well, Herod was burdened with a guilty conscience. He was burdened with a guilty conscience. This is the world. This is the state of most people, including some of us. There is confusion about who Jesus is. Then what follows is superstition mixed with some measure of truth. Why? Because there is a sense of guilt before God. And we're trying to find a way out of that guilt. Everyone has a conscience and everyone feels the burden of their guilt at some point. But the world finds ways to get around it either by drugs or alcohol, excusing themselves from any guilt or they... uh, work hard at at trying to find a way out. They try hard to work their way to get right with God by trying to make up for the wrongs that they have done. And that becomes endless because the truth is you can't. And unfortunately, they never truly repent or turn to God for forgiveness. The guilt is as far as they go. And that guilt doesn't normally change their course of action. They continue in their sin as the burden grows and their lifestyle gets worse and worse and worse as we will see here. There is no freedom nor liberty no matter what they try to do. To try to ease the burden. Because the only one who can ease the burden of their guilt 
is God. The only one is God. So the admonishment here is that Herod was to turn to God. For he is just to forgive. Secondly, we must ask the question, why did Herod have John the Baptist arrested? Why would anyone reject Christians and seek their downfall? Well, because of the message. It is because of the message. And here he was being influenced by someone who was more of a radical speaking into his ears. Herod wasn't listening to the word of God from John. He was listening to someone else. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. There you go. John the Baptist was imprisoned for the sake of the word of God. Herod married Herodias, who was his half-brother Philip's wife. To make it worse, his half-brother Philip was still alive. So she divorced Philip, who was governor over Caesarea Philippi, to marry Herod Antipas unlawfully, as it is forbidden by the law of God. It says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. It is adultery. Jesus said, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, woman commits adultery. John is holding Herod accountable to the law of God. And this goes to show that everyone, no matter your status, no matter your position, you will be held accountable to the law of God. It doesn't matter if you are the President of the United States the Queen of England, or the Pope. You will be held accountable and judged by the standards of the law of God. No one is above the law, including a so-called king. And here the language is communicating that John had been calling him out to his face repeatedly before he was arrested. Get this, he, that is Herod, wasn't even a Jew. But he will still have to answer to God. Everyone will. Everyone will. The law of God is binding on all people. All will be held liable to the law of God, no matter who you are, where you are, and if, even if you have never heard it before. That is why John is warning him. Herod's conscience is condemning him after John the Baptist told him, the standards of the law, and called him an adulterer. And everyone's conscience either accuses or excuses us, but our conscience never comforts. It never relieves us of the burden of our sin. Some people have false assurances 
That they are fine because they have made up all sorts of excuses that, they, that justify their actions. That doesn't mean you're forgiven. If you forgive yourself, that doesn't mean you are forgiven by God. If you are just making excuses for your sin, then, then you have truly never repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to be forgiven. So in turn, you're not forgiven. This example of Herod and the example of John the Baptist ought to convince us that we are not to fear to call out sin and to call others to repent of their sin. We're not to fear men when we say what you are doing is unlawful and you will face judgment. That goes from the top down, money, no money. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're the, you're the president or you hold public office. You will face judgment if you do not repent before the true and living God. And that goes for us as well in the church. We are to receive this same message as well since judgment begins at the house of the Lord. So don't run from your conscience when the law is revealed to you. Don't try to make excuses. But go before the Savior and repent. Thirdly, this message does not sit well with some. Consider Herodias' response to John's words as he exposes her to the law of God. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. She made it personal, as many people do. Why? Because she hates God and his law. If they hate God and his law, then they will hate the one who brings that law and reveals their sin to them. No one wants to be convicted and accused of anything. There's that saying uh, that says that everyone wants to be loved. Uh, I think there are songs written about it. But that's not true. The truth is, everyone wants to be right. And to love them means that you agree with them and affirm their behavior. No one wants to be told when they are wrong. It starts at a very young age. And for some people, they never grow out of it. And notice today, out there in the world, they're giving young children adult-like decisions to make. The world is backwards. It is upside down. All because of what? Because men do not like to be told when they are wrong. And they base all of their decisions on their feelings, on their emotions. Today we have the phrase, I'm just living my truth. What does that mean? What if my truth says your truth is a lie? 
There can only be one that is true. Like when gravity says, you will fall if you jump off a bridge. Yeah, but my truth says it doesn't matter what your truth says at that point. You will fall. That is exactly what John the Baptist just did to Herod and Herodias. He called them adulterers according to what God says is the truth. They may respond, but we're just living our truth. No, you are committing adultery and you will face judgment. That is the truth. And he said this, not to be mean, not to be a bigot, but to arouse a response of grief over sin, repentance, and faith in God to be forgiven. To be forgiven. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Instead, it drove Herodias mad. It drove her mad. She wanted him dead. This is what we are witnessing today. People, when they hear the word of God, they're going completely insane. And they want Christians dead because of the message. Because of the message. They don't have a problem with the way we live. In fact, for many, it is a breath of fresh air. They have a problem with the message and what we believe. They have a problem with this message that there will be judgment for sin. Or, there is the other response. Back to Herod. Some people respond like Herod. Uh, They do not repent. Nor do they place their trust in Jesus Christ. But they become superstitiously and superficially moral. Superstitiously and superficially moral. What do I mean by that? He may be saying to himself, I'm going to treat this guy nicely just in case what he is saying is true. And his God may give me a pass on judgment day. And notice the way he lives. He's a righteous and holy man. And if I do something to him, there may be karma. Think of the situation. Herodias could not put John to death. Why? For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Out of superstitious fear, he protected him and considered him a righteous man. Like when Pilate tried to clear Jesus when the Jewish leaders wanted to crucify him. He said, why? What evil has he done? And when Herod heard John speak when he confronted him in his sin, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So there are those who hear the word and the law of God, And think to themselves, 
I have done a lot of bad stuff in my life. I have ruined my family with this affair or some other sin. And what you are saying is so powerful. That is a powerful message. They are convicted and they listen to the words and the law of God gladly. They see the difference in the way Christians live and when we speak. They take it seriously and they enjoy hearing us. You think of Benjamin Franklin when he would go to listen to George Whitfield. But it never took root. And he never believed. And they'll even help us out because somehow they believe that by helping us out as Christians will bring them luck of some sort. And consider their response. Their response was anything and everything but repentance. His response was anything and everything but repentance. Unless there is a work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men and women, there will never be true repentance at the sound of the gospel. And it gets worse. Fourthly and finally, spiritual blindness can reach a whole other level of depravity. Remember, this is a foreshadowing of what will happen to Jesus and how Jewish leaders will do whatever it takes to crucify him, given an opportunity. And an opportunity, that is to kill John, came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So he is throwing a degenerate feast for himself And he invites the local elites seeking to impress them. And in return, they will probably feed his ego. And we are introduced to a a new character. For when Herodias' daughter, tradition says that her name was Salome, who was the daughter of Philip, came in and danced. We're not sure what, what kind of dance this was. We only know that she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Uh, This is a figure of speech. It is not literal. And she went out and said to her, Mother Herodias, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. He was an unbeliever, but he was friendly with John. So he felt badly about it. He was feeling conviction over his sin, and he was starting to listen to John. But his sin still got in the way. And he was bound to his position and to his word. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison 
and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Herod's chief sin, that is adultery, was running its course as one sin is never in isolation. One sin leads to more sin and more sin. He was close to salvation, but never reached it, and instead multiplied his sin, and he even sinned against his own conscience to keep up with appearances. Think of all the times that we have done the same thing just to keep up with appearances. But this is what we are to expect. The message of repentance goes out and you have some who have a sense of morals yet are confused and may have a level of worldly guilt but they never truly repent and even act against their own conscience. Instead of repenting, they give in to their lifestyle of sin and slowly destroy themselves. They remain troubled souls. And these troubled souls need the gospel to free them. They need the light of Christ to shine in their hearts. And we ought to pray for that end. And then you'll have others who are fueled by their hatred for God and his word. So they may seek to persecute you because of that word. They become disgusted with with what you say because from the law of God you have exposed them to their sin. So they take it personal. And that message stays with them. God brings it to their remembrance every day. It tortures them because there is a conscience in every man and it needs to be awakened to the fact that we are sinners on the way to eternal judgment. But instead of receiving the message and since they can't fight against God, they find whatever way possible to shut you up. How dare you offend me? Emphasis on me here. And they harden themselves against God and his law, which means they have already been judged. We see this in the world. And this is the response from the world to the church today. We see the increase of crime and violence in our cities. We see the increase of persecution of the church. Why is the church being persecuted? Well, because of the message of repentance and how Jesus is the only way of salvation from the wrath of God. It bothers the natural man so deeply that they become violent. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. They become violent. That is the power of the truth over the conscience. 
Because they begin to realize that there is no mixing and there is no unity between good and evil. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. The sons of disobedience have realized this truth and they are violently opposed to God. They are opposed to His church and they are opposed to the message we carry, which is a message of repentance. So we shouldn't be shocked when we see violence running rampant across this country and across the world. Violence is to be expected. As the psalmist says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. But remember, beloved, he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs because they won't get anywhere. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Remember this. Our reward is not in this world or from this world as we continue to expose the world to their own sin. Our reward is yet to come and it is from the hands of the Lord. And John knew this. John the Baptist knew this. He carried this with him as he was alone most of the time. This is what we ought to carry with us as Christians. But as we diagnose the world, we should never exclude ourselves from being neither a Herod or Herodias. This is a warning for us as well. We should ask ourselves, how do we respond if someone was to point out a sin in our own lives? Do we brush it off as if it is no big deal, it'll, it'll just pass away? Do we get defensive? Do we lash out in anger? Do we respond with hatred when God is bringing someone who is bringing the word of the Lord to us? It doesn't matter who it is, a stranger, a friend, a family member, a pastor, an elder, do we respond with, well, you're not so holy yourself. You're a sinner just like me. Yes, but the word of God is addressing you at this point. The word of God is coming to you through someone else to expose you to your sin. Don't turn it around on the messenger. So we ought to heed the word of God because God will use it to break our pride, bring us to our knees before him one way or another. Because at the end of the day, it is him that we will answer to, not just the person who confronts us. Herod wasn't going to answer to John the Baptist. John the Baptist just brought him the word of God. He brought him his law. 
Herod would one day have to answer to God, just like everyone else who we bring the word to. When we mention, uh, when I mention certain situations going on in our country and talking about certain topics that are controversial, people often think, well, he's getting political. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just telling you, you will have to one day reckon with God. The sins of our our country and our world is not political. It is spiritual. And you will one day have to answer to God and reckon with Him. Doesn't matter where you are, what position you hold. Public office or no public office, rich or poor, you will have to reckon with Him. Everyone including our president and the vice president, whoever it is, will have to reckon with God. They can riot all they want. It's all in vain. And after we repent, will we stand firm against sin and call it what it truly is? Will we warn people Will we warn people? Not because we're becoming political, but because they have to reckon with God. Will we warn people and allow the Holy Spirit to convince them of their miserable state? All the while, ourselves, we must take heed, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven and relieved of the burden of sin that Herod felt. And that is the gospel. Amen.